Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast. It's been an interesting week for Aston Villa, uh, short to say. And of course, I have two people here, not just Danny. Uh, hi, Danny. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Cole. I'm good. Uh, I'm 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 pretty happy after the Burnley game, but then also uh, had the had the interesting FA Cup fixture against Fulham, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about. Oh, absolutely. We'll get into that shortly. And of course, we have a. An old friend here, he came back because he missed us so much. He literally begged me to bring him back on. Um, so without further ado, James Russian, Big Shot, how you doing? Uh, I haven't even started my job, new job yet, so <laughs> Big Shot, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a nobody. I don't know, this is Nobody Sunday. And like yesterday's Villa game and the one before, the only ones I've, ever, I've been able to watch in the last five years as a straight fan. So the, Bur- the two games we're speaking about today, Burnley and Fulham, <laughs> as a fan, Oh, that's just, that's, that's all I've had. It's just, it's always been working. So, <laughs> it was weird just watching a game and not making anything about it. Oh, 100%. And, of course, James uh, did let us in behind the curtain. He got some access and was a fancy little uh, commentator, basically, for the game. And uh, it was great to see on Twitter because, um, I'll say this now because we said this before. Basically, he had professional tweets and then basically an hour after he went back to being uh, normal James. Um, so, that's <laughs> always normal great James? to see. Was um, so passive aggressive, wasn't it? it was so passive aggressive. It was amazing. <laughs> Normal uh, James is um, basically uh, you say whatever you want, you throw the odd little uh, swear word in there, and you just kind of have a great time. I think that's Normal James. <laughs> yeah, I've got to kind of limit that now. I don't know. I don't know if what, what the, the the line is, but when I you know when I was working and my feed, like my my Twitter feed, I guess was a work thing for that that Watford game away, a horrible football game to cover for an Aston Villa fan as we all know because we all watched it and saw how horrible it was um but yeah realism hits after that and I'll just go back to being normal so uh I'll probably get sacked soon it's one of those things though it's like like how like how much do you have to pretend you're a neutral I mean you know like I, uh, I definitely go the lines like kind of thing it's it's, it's mean, one of those ones everybody knows yeah. you're a fan I'm if I'm covering, say I get called to cover Birmingham City, I'll be biased towards Birmingham City because that's the club I'm covering. Like, I'm not here to kind of... Yeah, there is a level of objectivity, maybe, but because if you're the Birmingham live reporter for the Birmingham City covering their match, I think readers might want something that leans towards that club. So covering Aston Villa, obviously leaning more towards Aston Villa, I guess. But there's not going to be that emotional charge when you're covering Birmingham City, is there? In the same sense. So when if I ever cover Stoke City, Birmingham City, and I'm at the game, I won't be doing what I did at Watford, which was punch a desk <laughs> when uh, <laughs> Douglas Louise uh, ran into the back of a player. I wasn't cheering the club on because um, I think that's unprofessional. I didn't celebrate. Well, we had nothing to celebrate in the first place. Um, but it's not like when we were going forward on the attack that I was kind of pumping the air. It was just a frustrating thing to see. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of reactions like that kind of in the Villa coverage because a lot of stories couldn't go out because they relied on Aston Villa winning. I think certainly that that's how the Athletic work. Um, so the Watford journalist and the Villa journalist covering the Athletic, their, their, their stories are affected. Like their entire pieces are affected by the game, so they had to. Uh, so they were frustrated about things going on, or excited about things going on because it related to their work rather than the game, um, which was kind of my thing. Uh, but no celebrating Villa, no celebrating Villa at all. So James, quick question here: If you cover Stoke and Scott Hogan misses a sitter, do you still get mad? Uh, but it depends because I think he's going to get called back. <laughs> but no, he's not even getting called back. Stoke is sending him back. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty sad, isn't it? Um, Scott Hogan's completely broken. Um, I think I'll add that, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm root. I personally, I'm rooting. I'm genuinely a big fan of Scott Hogan, and I'll be rooting for him. But it's just a story, you know, him packing shelves, uh, playing for Rochdale, and moving up the leagues to Brentford, and then a big money move to Villa. Kind of a personal success story, even though it didn't really work out. But yeah, I, I'm rooting for Scott Hogan. Oh, no doubt. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the career corner there. Thank you for uh, listening to that. But uh, <laughs> We'll get on to what I'm sure everyone is here to listen to. And of course, uh, Villa like a 2-1 scoreline this week, beating Burnley 2-1, of course, early in the week at Turf Moor. Um, and then, of course, you look at Saturday. We're recording this on the Sunday, of course. And uh, yeah, we lost 2-1 to Fulham, so uh, a little bit of variety, a little bit of ups and downs, and we'll get on to the Fulham game later, of course, and 
it was a weird game, but nonetheless, we'll get on to Burnley, where, of course, like I said before, Aston Villa have won 2-1 away, and it came at a cost as we've lost Wesley and, of course, Tom Heaton for the rest of the season uh, within, what, like a 10-minute span, guys, uh, mm-hmm. with cruciate ligament mm-hmm. uh, injuries. It's a, it's, a, it's a costly three points that um, I guess I'll pass this over to you, Danny, first. Would you take the take maybe even a point if that meant somehow in some twisted land you had the chance to save both these players from injuries? No, I think it's an illogical question, man. I just I like it's it's not something you could ever predict. No, no, no. I I, I don't I don't I don't mean this in a way to insult you. I mean I mean in the sense that like I feel like it's hard to it's hard to fathom that if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like you know these things happen. These injuries happen. It's not. It's not that Burnley were out there to to injure Wesley or to injure Tom Heaton. It just it just so happened. And I think, you know, these kinds of injuries and these unpredictable events happening throughout the season are the reason you need to pick up the the three points against teams like Burnley. You know, if you don't pick up those points, um, you know, it, it doesn't affect that in the next game, you know, Wesley and Heaton might have gotten injured anyway. Um, you know, you you have to be getting those wins out there. And uh, it was a very important three points. You know, let, let's get that straight. It was a very, very important three points considering the way we've been uh, going about um, going about games recently. Oh, 100%. James, with that being said, if we look at the goalkeeping um, issue, I guess you can call it now, even though it feels like we have like 69,000 goalkeepers, uh, how, how essentially do you feel about Nyland stepping in? Is the confidence there? Um, yeah, I think if we jump ahead in time to the Fulham match um, he was beat by two goals he no one would save and um, he stopped Anthony Nakia from scoring you know adding a third goal for Fulham and really ending the match and he did that himself with Villa 2-0 down um, in the Burnley match specifically the guy comes in um, with the chips against him this is Burnley really throwing the kitchen sink at Villa now um, he claims a ball that I think even Tom Heaton may have struggled because it's a crowd of players. Mm. The ball's, it's a westward corner punted to the back end of the goal, the far post. And it's a crowd of players, not just Burnley's, but Villa's. And he clears them out. And a big criticism of Oyen Nyland has always been that, whether it's right or wrong, in the championship, he was criticised for not being strong on the ball enough, not being commanding. That was commanding. So, you know, fair play to him. And, you know, Tom, look, Tom Heaton is an amazing goalkeeper. He's a leader at the back and he's a, essentially a club captain for a, another club captain for Aston Villa. So he's going to be a massive loss. He's going to be a massive loss because him and Wesley are the two Aston Villa, Villa players who've played the most minutes and only Jack Grealish comes behind them in third place. So these are two massive losses, no matter how you look at it. But Orion Nyland showed what he has. I mean, um, he played against Liverpool in the cup and I understand it was like Liverpool under 12s or whatever, but a shot is a... <laughs> <laughs> a dangerous shot is a dangerous shot, and he dealt with them. So I, I'm okay with Nyland. We'll, he has, we have to see him start. We haven't got enough kind of a sample size this season. But from what I've seen, the small bits we've seen, I am very comfortable with Nyland. Striker is a, a whole different story, though, Cole. So if we kind of go right to the start of the game, uh, it looks like our prayers were somehow answered. Dean Smith must be a fan of the podcast because I don't know how long we've been banging on about this. Uh, He switched formations, guys. I had a little dance when I watched this because something actually productive seemed to happen. He switched to what seemed like a 3-4-3. And of course, uh, I'm going to say it right, Danny, so you don't laugh at me. Uh, A 4-5-1 when defending. Thank you very much. I got that right. Um, (laughs) It was good to see, and I think a lot of people were actually, especially on Twitter that I saw, wanted to go with a three at the back, and it kind of seemed like that was the formation that suited these players best. Uh, like we've said before, we're essentially in a 4 through 3 we're trying to put uh, square pegs and round holes, and it's just not working, and this seemed to kind of fit everyone perfectly. Everyone seemed comfortable. There wasn't too many issues, especially for Jack Grealish. It allowed him to essentially play a little bit more out wide and then kind of drag into the middle where he can dominate and truly influence a game. So, Danny, with that being said, how did you feel about the formation? Were you happy with that? Did it make you more confident? Just give me uh, your thoughts. Yeah, of course. Look, we 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 had one win in seven before this, and that one win is, was against Norwich, who you know previously we'd actually beaten five one earlier in the season, uh, and and it was clear to me that the four three three formation had either been figured out 
by opposition or just simply wasn't working with with the players that we had and and Dean's been a bit he, he seems to be sort of a bit late in terms of changing things than in terms of switching things up when when they need to be changed we've seen this you know within the 90 minutes within games when substitutes kind of come on in the 80th minute when we're already two or three nil down um and I think also uh, we've also seen it from the fact that Look, we, we haven't tried anything else this season. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, in the Premier League, uh, you need to have uh, another plan because there's so many different types of varieties of teams in that league and there's so many different varieties of the ways that teams play that, you know, you can't set up in the same way for everybody. Um, and I thought that, yeah, it was, it was good to see that, that five at the back start um, for Villa because... You know, especially for a team like Villa who, you know, are very, very inconsistent. It means you can defend or you can focus on attacking um, either way uh, because of the setup. You can either have the you can even have the five in the midfield or you can have the um, five at the back uh, either way. So I just think it's a it's a good formation. And it did allow for Wesley, for whatever reason, to have a little bit more support, um, especially from, from the likes of Jack Grealish. 100%. And James, if we focus on one player in particular here, and that's one I want to focus on right now, is Tyrone Mings. How crucial was it to have him in that back line? Absolutely crucial because he's been kind of one of the leading players in the Premier League for block shots. And I think that's how Villa have relied defensively um, in the past has been on the ability of not just Mings, but Bjorn Engels to block shots. So um, Konza and Esri Konza and Courtney Hawes play maybe a different style of defensive football where Tyro Mings is a leader. He's experienced, he's athletic, he's agile, and he's, you know, he's been through the mill. He's been through all the leagues. He's an England international. To have that experience in the back line, to help Konza and Hawes, who were having maybe nervy moments in the previous match against Watford after such a, you know, a decent debut for the pair um, together against Norwich. Um, it it meant the world, you know, to, to, to see Dean Smith kind of change the formation to give Aston Villa superiority in numbers at the back. Um, you know, three defenders, three centre backs um, playing out wide against two strikers in Chris Wood. And uh, I don't know who the other, who is the other striker for Burnley Ashley on the Barnes. Day? Ashley, Ashley Barnes. Barnes. And then Rodriguez came on. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was a hard task against Burnley, a really hard task. And, you know, Chris Wood had shown his uh, aerial superiority against us in the in the first match we played this season against Burnley at home in Villa, at Villa Park. So Tyrone Mings coming in, you know, so there's been accusations that he overplays, underplays, whatever. He's Tyrone Mings, he's Villa centre-half. And he's, I'm so glad to see him back because any, you know, we, we probably wouldn't have won that match without him, um, especially later on. No. Yeah, that's, that's really fair. I honestly... I... There, we had a lot of kind of stopgap defending before. Obviously, we have to give a lot of credit to Courtney Hawes. Um, he came in and did a job, and he continues to do that. Uh, Konza came in and shown he's also able. It's I, I honestly can't remember from a Villa standpoint us having defenders where I'm confident, no matter almost well, not maybe falsely confident, but confident nonetheless uh, that we can actually uh, get something out of a game from a defensive standpoint with center backs. Um, of course, the last time we were in the Premier League, we know our center back pairing was Lescott <laughs> and at one point uh, Mika Richards. So, uh, well, yeah. there, was, there was a bit cold and this is the difference with Mings is that Chris Wood was through on goal and the very presence of Tyro Mings sprinting into him scared him. Like he didn't take the shot. You could see him kind of take a step back and that Mings didn't do anything except sprint towards the ball and it put Chris Wood off. And this is Chris Wood that Tyrone Mings is put. This is a striker who does, he has no reason to fear anyone. And Tyrone Mings, you know, almost made him change his shorts. <laughs> That's a good it's analogy. true though. And that, that is just like no, his... the difference with Mings. He's, he's fearful. His leadership was so key in that game because, you know, we've, we've had so many times when we've just fell apart and, and he's, you know, as much as he was being criticised a little bit before he got injured, like, there is definitely that presence. There definitely is that presence um, in there that he has that, that certainly Konza and, and, and Horst don't have just yet. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, James. If, if Mings hadn't been playing, I don't think it would have won that game. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think, <laughs> I don't know why this is coming into my head, but I literally <laughs> picture Tyrone Mings standing there, Chris Wood running right at him, and he holds his hand out and says, you shall not pass. <laughs> what, just no, the way you said it. What, no, it's even worse than that, because 
because Wood was through on goal and he's running away from Mings. So it was Mings' presence behind him that put him off. And, it, you know, Mings appears from nowhere to kind of cover for Ezri Konza. And Wood, Chris Wood has beat Konza. And Mings comes across and it puts Chris Wood completely off his shot. And I think, look, Aston Villa were good attacking the whole game. And I say the reason, even though Burnley had one shot on target the whole game, the reason... They had 20 shots once, yeah, exactly, and even what the only one on target they scored. And the reason they didn't have more shots on target is because I guess Tyron Mings' very presence was enough to kind of maybe destabilise them. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm paying him too much credit, but certainly there was a massive difference in how opposition strikers have treated this uh, this Villa defence in that game. Well, I mean, also, you know, don't don't also, like, you know, forget how well Courtney Hawes played as well. Sorry to cut yep. you off there, Cole. Um, no yeah, I mean, it's... I think he he had like five aerials, one as well throughout the game as well, which is you know which is big when when you consider you got three centre halves in there. Um, and I, I thought that he he had a fantastic game as well. I think he, he had one moment where he nearly scored as well, but um, I might be um, I might be fudging my memory a little bit there. But yeah, I think I think he's been developing so well over the last few games that once he's got enough Premier League games under his belt, I see no reason why he can't sort of kick on like Tyrone Mings has. It's a big show. But anyways, we'll get on to uh, the goals here, and we'll first we'll talk about the goal that, in my opinion, should have stood. But uh, VAR is the pettiest thing I've ever seen in my life, and makes up lines just to uh, uh, appease somebody at least. Then of course that happened to uh, the Jack Grealish goal. Of course, um, guys, how did you feel about this? Because the fact that they put Wesley's heel offside with a, a fake line. <laughs> um, was it 2D and they're trying to make it 3D? I don't so, even know. I I think I saw like a video analyst kind of set, bring up the point that VAR in really really tight calls could be incorrect because not only of the margin of error you have in video frames, there could be a 13 centimeter margin of error. Is that you're trying to plot a 3D line on a 2D image, so you have you know the 3D coordinates x y and z. And you've only got two of them, and you have to kind of manufacture the third one in the 2D image. Um, regardless of that, look, the line does put whatever they've made the line, that's what they have to use. They use the line to make offside. Wesley's heel is offside, and that's the rule. The problem I have with it is it's not even in the same passage of play as the goal. Like, the ball gets cleared back yeah. out, and then Cons crosses it in, and Wesley is deemed as an interference because he goes for the header and doesn't get it. I, I feel like that was quite forced. Yeah, Danny, how do you feel? Well... I think when when I think one of the quotes that I heard as well when when you look at VAR is that like if uh, VAR is trying to identify through looking at five six seven ten twelve cameras whether or not this is offside I think this is a quote taken from uh, Luke Lucas Brood the general secretary of, of IFAB um, basically the idea is that look if you need to look through that many camera angles to kind of judge something. Um, as wrong uh, in the eyes of the referee, then why, you know, why are we changing his decision? Because there's no idea of advantage there. There's no sense that the attacker has got an advantage. Or if it's the other way around, there's no sense that, you know, the defender has a, has an advantage. You know, this is this is silly because that's not the reason VAR was brought in. It, VAR was brought in to change clear and obvious errors. That is not a clear and obvious error. Um, uh, during the FA Cup, you saw it loads as well on Saturday. Just like, you know, them them fudging around for like two or three minutes to to try and find something wrong. Don't do that. You know, you should be able to look at it a couple of times and say, right, okay, this is overturned. Or look at it a couple of times and say, right, you know, this is a little bit tight. Let's just go with the ref. That's what's yeah. supposed to happen. That's what you. Should, that's what VAR is supposed to be for. But the worst thing about it is that. I'm sure that the one organisation who is in charge of VAR, and I can't recall the exact name of the, the officiating organisation, they said that we should probably stop doing so much forensic calls because it's really putting everything into question. And then you see kind of like two days after the most forensic call um, because that's what this Wesley thing was. It was his heel moving. He was moving back on side. His heel was caught offside, and I think... That's the the rule is that he is an inter, deemed an interfering player and his heel was off. There's a part of him, a goal scoring part of him, that was offside. Um, so I guess that's why they called it. Um, but I can't see how that was clear and obvious because it was ruled a goal on the pitch. It's terrible. Like I, <laughs> I it's it's it feels like uh, when I look at it, 
it's almost like you had fans at the start of the seat well basically at the beginning of the season uh saying oh why wasn't that called why wasn't this called and now it just feels like referees officials in general are just second guessing everything and with that being said look at this example i don't know if this is the worst one we've seen to date but it's certainly questionable and ridiculous and they do have to have a look at this at the end of the season and evaluate if they're going to keep it in then they have to have stricter guidelines on what they're going to use it for because it's a little bit too sloppy and all over the place but anyways i digress let's get on to the goals here because right after that and the 27th minute jack Grealish was even more spurred on if you had him in your fantasy league you'd be very happy with his uh outlay on that day because i certainly did and i wish i captained him uh but of course he turned provider for wesley's goal wesley had a right footed shot from the center of the box of course assisted by jack Grealish, and this is a huge goal for wesley because it ends a run of 12 games and 20 shots without a goal um <laughs> it's been a long time coming i think the last couple goals he got was at uh, norwich away it's been a long time it's been a frustrating time uh James, how it's kind of hard to say now because we know what happens um, with the injury, but how big was this goal for his confidence? For Wesley, massive, and you could see what it meant to him because every single player came over and celebrated him in an individual way. Douglas Louise comes over, gives him the high five. Jack Grealish even kisses him on the cheek. Um, So you can see kind of how much Aston Villa as a football club are rooting for him. And I think Ash Priest... brought out a few tweets the other day to see you know I mean this is after Wesley's injury but it was very clear that Wesley is one of the hardest work behind the scenes one of the hardest workers at Aston Villa and there's an entire football club rooting for him because of his story you know this is a guy who had kids very young um, lost his father moved to Eastern Europe to try and forge a career at football succeeded turned down massive money to move to China eventually comes to Aston Villa and he has a hard time from fans he has a hard time from the press um, but you can see the quality as and the qualities in the build-up and the unselfishness and that in, in playing and attacking movements and being a threat. And he was a threat. He gave James Tarkowski a runaround and um, completely bodied him to make it, make the first chance of the game for him. Then he scores a goal like that. It's a thumping volley to kind of put Villa in the lead. And, it, you know, that was the, you know, sod VAR goal. That, 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 it was like Jack Grealish puts it away. Then Wesley puts it away. You had a handicap, Burnley. You had a goal writ off. And we still scored two. And that's because of Wesley. His attacking movement, he was really, really um, coming into his own. And, uh, yeah, the confidence was there before the goal, I feel. But that goal would have gave him, you know, the world of it. Um, But, unfortunately, um, what happened later in the game will rule him out for the rest of the season. Oh, of course. Uh, We'll go on to the next goal here, of course, in the 41st minute. Uh, Grealish uh, goes from provider to goal scorer again. Uh, right foot shot from the left side of the box, of course. Uh, David, or Doug, wow, David Louise. Yes, we have David Louise. Uh, Douglas Louise whips it in, and of course, Jack Grealish puts it away uh, very nicely, I must say. Uh, one heck of a goal. Arguably one of the best goals of the weekend, if not the best. Um, and with that being said, Danny, how'd you feel about the goal? Was it, was it kind of bittersweet? We're up 2-0, but you have in the back of your mind that it could have been 3 yeah, I mean, it's 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 good to see. I mean, I think I think uh, finally, you know, it looks like I can't remember the last time we actually led by two goals against against another side. It, it started to look like, hang on a second, we've got something good going over here. We've got something good going on with this formation. You know, this is this is something different. This is something fresh. We're actually causing problems to Burnley. It's it's funny because we didn't have anywhere near as many shots as as Burnley did throughout that game. But it still felt like every opportunity that we created in that game was was more important than than what we had been producing recently, and I think um, that exact that goal as well was an example of Wesley and Grealish linking up well. Uh, how many other times have we seen the strikers? Uh, have we seen the striker and one of our midfielders or, or one of our wingers actually link up like that? Yeah, James, what would we do without Jack Grealish? Because <laughs> uh, the man's doing everything for us right now. He's almost basically keeping us in the Premier League by himself. Yeah, um, there's been probably a, a fairly decent argument that Villa, if they have any financial issues, should sell him in January. But you think about the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost is if you sell Jack Grealish, you get relegated. That's how important he is to Aston Villa. Um, he runs a show. Um, neutral fans are starting to appreciate him, which is a big thing because he's been a figure of hate for so long. Um, but also, like, he's, like, be stepping into his own role as this complete throwback rock star playmaker 
um, socks rolls down, takes a beating and comes up with the magic and look like Solihull born, Villa since he was six, massive Villa fan. That England call-up has to be coming. Um, he's Aston Villa through and through and I think he's like 23, 24 now. Like he has walked into that Aston Villa Hall of Fame already. No matter what happens in the future, all he has done so far and the story and the path he's been on, the journey he's been on, has made him a, a living Aston Villa legend that is playing for the club right now. And like someone's asked me, who's the best player you've seen for Aston Villa? It's Jack Grealish, who's the player of the last decade. It's Jack Grealish. No, that's fair. And I saw something super cringy last night. I don't even want to describe it. It makes me <laughs> sick. It was literally, of course, it's a United fan because they think oh. they own every player. But it was, and it had a little red backdrop, and it had Jack Grealish and a United kit and James Madison and saying, oh, we're going to sign both of them tomorrow or something like that. Uh, like, the privilege, it must be nice. But, uh, like, you, he just, stay away from him. <laughs> United can't afford him. They can't because, I'll tell <laughs> you what. a controversial tie. That will get you skewered well, no, on the internet. I don't care. I don't care. Look, they're, they're, they're trying to use, Je- I mean, when I, when I say can't afford, I mean relatively, like, in terms of, like, what they want to pay. They're trying to use Jesse Lingard as as as, as make weight for, for the James Madison deal. And, no, but that's, that's, that's what's yeah. been reported. That's what's been reported. That's true. And, and it's like, hang on a second, right? This That's not going to work anymore. You can't just move on your players that... You can't just, you know, hand over your players that that haven't been performing and expect a side to just, like, you know, um, snatch them out, out of your hands like that. Look, Grealish and Madison are both fantastic players. Grealish is, as you say, James, probably the most influential player of, of, of the decade for Villa, you know, over the last 10 years. And there, there's no replacing him, really. So if somebody's gonna have gonna come on, come in with an offer, they're gonna have to come on with something ridiculous. Because I hate to say it, but he is carrying us right now. Yeah, absolutely what's he, what's carrying worth? us. Um, eighty million. Uh, Harry Maguire was worth eighty million to Leicester. I'd yeah, say eighty million. He's got a lot hard. of years left on his contract. Yeah, it's hard to compare because values like it's pointless comparing values at this point because yeah, there's so yeah. much content like. One player could go for 30 million and be better than Jack Grealish, and Jack Grealish could go for triple, whatever that. Um, so player values kind of should be taken individual, but you, you have to consider he is worth survival to Aston Villa right now. How much is that? Um, if Villa were to, they're not going to sell him in January. It's a possibility no. at the end of the year, regardless of what happens, because he's really, really made a name for himself this season. Um, he is indispensable to Aston Villa. And I don't know what price that is. Is that 30 million? Is that 60? Is that 90? I don't know. But for Aston Villa, he's indispensable. But he's got years left on his contract, right? Unless there's a release yeah. clause, there's no point selling him at you the do, moment. You, you do good by the player, though. I mean, no one is going to consider selling him in January. But if he wants to move at the end of the season, regardless of where Villa are, I think mm. he has blessing to do that after what he's done. Yeah, but for you the know, right price. Of course, yeah. I honestly think that this is the first time I've generally felt about a player that it's going to be hard for him to leave if we stay up, like emotionally. I It's one of those things that you see if, I don't know if a player of his quality would stay for the remainder of his career just because he loves the club, but I genuinely feel that he's one of those guys that it's going to be one of the hardest days of his life to leave this club. Yeah. I think, though, like, it's a lot easier for sides to keep on keep a hold of these players now big and it's and it's because with it's because of the inflation it's because of the fact that all these players cost so much money and clubs don't you know snap snap your hands off for 30 million anymore you know you look at crystal palace and wilfred zaha look wilfred zaha is not a boyhood crystal palace fan at least i don't think but you know he's he's one of those players who's probably considered too good for that club and he's had so much interest from from huge huge teams but he hasn't you know jumped the ship from from Crystal Palace, you'd have thought Vardy would have left Leicester years ago, but he hasn't, and and he's performing well with them now. You know, if Villa stay up, I can't see Jack Grealish going. I I can't see a club coming in with the right yeah. kind of offer for him. It, I mean, look, if if you are Manchester United and you are Ch- or Chelsea, or even Manchester City, or even a a massive overseas team, that is a very hard thing to turn down. Um, so I, I guess it's up to him at the end of the season. But look, we've been here before. And even if we do go down, I think it'll be impossible for Jack Grealish to, to stay for the sake of his career. But I do think there'll be genuinely a part of him that would want to go down, even though how unrealistic that is. I think because he's a Villa fan, 
there might be that small part that he has to really give a talking to inside him to move on. I, I think when I look at him too, and if, say if we do go down, I think he's one of those guys that he's going to make sure he goes for as much as possible because he genuinely cares. Yeah. And yeah, and that's great to see. But anyways, we'll we'll get on to the last goal, of course, and that would be Burnley's goal with Chris Wood. Um, a great header from the left side of the uh, about six yards within the box, yeah. I would say. Uh, Ashley Westwood turns provided the old Villa man himself. Uh, great header, to be fair. Uh, no one's yeah. really stopping that. Uh, Heaton got to it. And of course, we talked about the injury and what led to it. And it was so close to staying out, in my opinion, if he could have just got there a little bit quicker or he was an inch taller but those are just marginal lines i'm making up essentially danny is this sloppy defending or is this just a great goal um i'm gonna watch it back give me one second okay james right. is this sloppy <laughs> defending or a great goal <laughs> it's a great goal look gets a header on a complete postage stamp it's in the top corner um Heaton does get a hand to it but he's falling backwards into his own goal and unfortunately that's what causes his acl injury and um, rather innocuous rather than uh, when we compare it to kind of ben Mee's challenge on wesley that could have been an absolute leg breaker but no chris wood it's an it's a perfect goal it's the only shot on target and this is the reason why i wasn't worried about burnley despite them racking up a, a number of chances that they missed the only one they could get on target was of such a rare quality he- of header into the top corner that it, it was just no threat you know that they, they they got their goal fair enough it was and also heaton was falling back awkwardly that is the other thing heaton heaton is falling back awkwardly if he's if he's planted a little bit better there and is and he, and he's not you know getting injured in the process yeah. he might get a hand to that but as you say like it's lofted perfectly for him you're supposed to put those away as a striker um especially if you're chris wood and you're brought in to do you know score that Just kind of that, a goal yeah yeah um, you know, we, we've got defenders on him, but yeah, he's uh, he, he's he's always buried that. Yeah. So a lot of people said, "Oh, we struggled late on," but look, Burnley had a whole half of just not existing. Villa scored two, three goals in that half, and one was struck off. Then they had a, they got into the game the second half. They people say we sit back. I don't think we did. Burnley had to chase that game with everything, and they weren't good enough. They fashioned one chance, scored it. That's it. I think I think though, as Villa fans, we might be being conditioned. Um, into thinking that you know that is that that we are just penned back and that was awful, but that's because when it, when the shoes on the other foot, we don't see Villa doing the same thing. I think yeah, that's I think that's the conditioning that we've got at the moment. We've only seen that in one game, and that's bought but against Bournemouth at home when we chucked it away in the first ten minutes and had to throw everything at them just to get one goal back. It's exactly the same in this match. Burnley looked good in the second half because they had to look good in the second half. They had to make chances. And look, looking good is subjective because they had one chance and that's it. Yeah. I think when we look at it, especially too, though, uh, being Villa fans, of course, uh, I think once we have a lead and we know it's oh so close, we're just expecting the inevitable draw yeah. loss. I think we, I think if you look at the Liverpool game in some sense, I think that's the biggest stinger. Yes, it's Liverpool. Yes, they basically already won the league already. Uh, it's only January. I, I, I think we look at that game in particular, and I think it just struck so much fear and almost just irrationality into people's brains that as soon as we have any sort of tight lead, we think we're just going to give it away. I mean, there's, we can go over a million different examples of that basically being why we panic, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we'll get onto the striker kind of situation a bit later. Cause I want to speak about a few things there um, outside of Wesley, but I want to get your match ball guys. So James, take it away. Uh, it has to be Jack Grealish. There's almost no one else top of my mind for that match ball. Um, in front of this is the only game on at the time um, attracted a lot of plaudits from neutrals watching for for his goal his well struck goal but also he's com- he was just commanding in the second half he he didn't he, he didn't want Villa to even walk away with a single point there he wanted all three so uh, Captain Jack gets it for me Danny do I have to go with somebody different is that is that how this works by the way I, <laughs> I always can do I always whatever you want buddy <laughs> um, all right okay I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I know. I know James went with Grealish, so um, I'm gonna give this one to Wesley because it's probably his last one of the season. It is gonna oh, be his. It last is one his last season. one, yeah. It is his last yeah. one of the season. Um, but <laughs> I, I have to give it to him because he he, he looked like the twenty or twenty five million pound striker that we signed. 
um, in that game. Um, he was creating chances. He was involved in in every attack before he got injured. Um, sets up Jack Grealish for that disallowed goal. Um, and and I think yeah, he, he obviously buries that goal and 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 gets gets his own back after I don't know how many games um, he'd gone without one. I think it was twelve. Uh, so I have to give it to Wesley. He he played that game perfectly. Yeah, um, the thing I love about you bringing up Wesley, it's probably the last time I'm going to be able to say it since he's out for the rest of the season. I just love how you stuck with your man crush and gave him one little goodbye for the rest of the season. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate you. And it's great to see Danny. I I love your love for the man. Uh, Look, I I think I I genuinely think he's a fantastic player. He's, He's had a lot of bad luck. No, listen, listen. I, I, I think he's, I think he's a very good player. I've seen good performances from him when we're pushing up and when we're playing a lot, and and when we've got players, you know, um, up there with him. Um, we, we, we've had a problem with distribution. We've had a problem with wingers, uh, and and this was one of those games where you know that problem wasn't so evident. Oh, hundred percent. My favorite part about I don't like people getting injured, obviously. Um, but I love how uh, Douglas Louise went over and like rubbed his head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's gonna heal up. <laughs> like I, strong. I, I said that in a tweet, and it looks kind of so insincere after the news of that's come out about is it how bad his injury is. So I was like, oh, isn't it? Isn't it nice? But it was like how much care Douglas Louise has shown for Wesley in his time here, and like they danced together at Norwich after when they both scored, and that's like kind of one of the best Villa clips of the year. But him coming over and showing Wesley's support just kind of embodies what this team's really about. And people said, look, you're buying loads of Brazilians, loads of foreigners for 140 million. You're doing a Fulham. No, these players know it. They're all connected. They're, they're all connected yeah. in their own way. Like Douglas Louise and Wesley share nationality. Bjorn Engels played at the same club as um, Nakamba and Wesley. He came from, he played at Club Rouge before he moved to France. So they're all connected in their own way. And uh, I don't think that gets enough recognition. I think you've got to remember as well. Like, sorry, Cole. Um, do you yeah, want to? No worries. Oh, go on. Uh, all right. No, I was going to say. I saw somebody else tweet as well. I'll just be very short with it. Like, Wesley's Wesley's going to be injured now until the end of the season, alone in a foreign country, like you know, miles and miles away from home. Um, you know, and Douglas Luiz is probably you know the only the only other Brazilian contact he's got around here. Uh, that's that's another thing that that you know is 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 a side of that injury you have to consider. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people look at the previous relegation season and see the, I don't even know what that was, I, the, the cluster, I won't swear, but you know, um, <laughs> and just, it didn't, didn't seem like there was any unity, there was nothing, I mean, you had Les got, of course, tweeting out his car from his pocket, apparently, um, it, just, it, there wasn't a lot of things going well at all that season, and I think a lot of people draw on that and just correlate to this one, Um this season irrationally i think we see a lot of that but anyways we'll move on to the next game here because of course villa did play on saturday in the fa cup third round uh dean smith uh funnily enough uh i think he's only made it through to the fourth round i think once i think the stat was or something like that someone can correct me if they want um and of course um i think from the get-go guys we figured that villa had bigger fish to fry 100 percent because that lineup, uh, we went back to a 4-3-3. Um, like I said, the lack of a really quality lineup. I don't know if this was a, hey, board, look, we need more players, or this just was, I don't really care. We have bigger fish to fry. Uh, maybe it's a bit of both. But, yes, we lost 2-1 to Fulham at Craven Cottage. Um, James, would you say this is a nothing game? Like, How did you feel about it? So Dean Smith, after the match, said you could tell kind of by the team we put out that it wasn't our priority and I completely understand that but for that team the match is their priority the first mm. 11 that's put out yeah. and it didn't look like that at all um, I understand that we want to avoid fixture congestion but a cup is a cup and we have kind of got our way to a league cup semi-final which is being now viewed as a massive positive for this club there is no reason that an FA cup semi-final or progression in that cup wouldn't be moved viewed as a massive positive either i get fixture congestion completely get it but that team that showed up um yesterday against fulham at craven cottage did not look at all ready or willing to win that match yeah uh, that 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 was the overall problem for me james it's yeah. not that we lost uh, i like i don't i don't mind us losing in the fa cup we're we're, we're so far into the league cup you know that you know gotta 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 be happy with what we've got i guess but you know, it was almost the idea that we'd lost before the game even started against the championship team. It felt like that. 
I don't think any of us, I don't think many of us actually expected a win, uh, despite what our official predictions were. Um, yeah. And I think secondly, you know, there's so many players out here, just like you said, that, you know, they're not starting every week for Villa and they need to prove why they should be. You know, your Neil Taylors, um, your, your Bjorn Engels, your um, Conor Haurahans, your, your Henry Lansbury's, your Hotters. And even El Ghazi recently has been out of favour. Um, and I think especially Jonathan Codger. And it's like, you know, as much as the manager might say that this, this game doesn't matter, at least show you care and at least show some sort of willingness to, to actually play your heart out for Villa. Because if that's, if that's the way you're going to treat, treat a cup game, how can you as a fan uh, be sure that, you know, they've got more desire in a Premier League game than, than, than the opposition? So I definitely think Dean Smith cared, but the team was so tired. They just, and this isn't even a team that's played a lot of games. I understand match fitness comes into it, but you've got players kind of like Kaja and Al Ghazi who are just shown complete incohesiveness with the rest of the team, Cole. Yeah, I would say so. Um, let's just run through the lineup here so people have a sense if they didn't see yeah. the game. Um, of course, it's vastly different. Of course, you had Nyland and goal uh, back four of uh, Elmo, Angles, Chester, and Taylor. A midfield of Lansbury, Nakamba, and Hurahan. Of course, we had um, a three up top with uh, Jata, uh, Kaja, and Al Ghazi. The main one I want to talk about now, guys, is Kaja because... I, I loved your tweet, James, when you're mentioning basically it's okay to walk as a striker. You're not going to run 24-7. But when the ball's coming at you or you have to run for it, you actually have to run for it. You can't just walk. Yeah. So uh, it was this, something around that lines. This is about the, a late incident when the Villa were chasing the game. Like, I've got no problem with losing because we got buried by two wonder goals. Like, Nyland had no chance of saving them. And when he did have a chance of saving stuff, he stopped it, funnily enough. Um, but he was buried by two wonder goals. Villa had almost accidentally scored through Kodja and late on he's offside and he's walking back onside and the chance just goes by him oh and yeah I've got absolutely no problem with a striker walking what infuriated me was people calling out um, Kodja against Liverpool because he was walking and I think like you have to he has to conserve his energy he has to be ready for a full breakout sprint whenever the chance comes but this was one that I've that really stuck out as a sore thing because this isn't 10, 20 minutes in the game. This is late on when he's the only striker and he needs to throw everything at it. He needs to jog back on side. He needs to be on side and he's not. So Villa wasted Matt, a chance. That was awful. That was awful as well. I mean, he did go on to miss that chance as well or like hit it straight at the keeper. But like, yeah, no, he, he, he was well, well offside and he knew the cross was coming. Like that was the worst thing. That, that cross was definitely coming at him. Coming at him. I see. I don't. I really don't condemn players as lazy because to get to this level, you can't be lazy. Like it's it's very hard to get to be a Premier League stroke and be lazy. But when um, you're being criticised, then you're not yes. in favour. So the the problem is that Villa in right now don't know what they have with Kodja, and now we have to start him. <laughs> that that is yeah. the issue. Like he isn't the striker he was two years ago because the striker he was two or three years ago wasn't lazy. And this striker is now being criticised as lazy, whether that's right or wrong. Is he too comfortable? Is, do you think that's an issue? Um, well, I think the contract's up at the end of the season and he has been linked so often with moves for the last like year and a half under Dean Smith. Well, we, Dean Smith's only been here a year and a bit. But ever since kind of um, the, the promotion season, like he's been out of favour. Like Scott Hogan comes in, you know what I mean? In his first season, Scott Hogan comes in. In the second season, I know he's injured, but we're playing Keenan Davis. In the third season, not even in the second half of the second season, he's here. We get uh, Lewis Graben on loan. In the third season, we get Tammy Abraham in. This is a player Villa have clearly shown no interest in wanting. He's also had all those injuries as well, though. He's been mm, very, very injury yeah. prone. Yeah, of course. Throughout those seasons, there's been injuries. But, like, Jonathan Codger has not been the main choice for Villa for a long time. And I think that does affect a player who wants to be the main choice. I wonder if he's, this is maybe too bold. I wonder if that one season at Bristol city was a bit of a, like a one and done. Uh, he had a great season. We all know that. And I kind of wonder if purchasing him for the fee and everything like that, I almost wonder if he's really as good as I guess what he was perceived to be. I, well, I paid person. too much for him. Yeah, so sorry, his first James. season. Yeah, sorry, Danny. His first season at Villa was was fine. 
Um, the yeah. problem I have is that, like, what message do you send to a striker like McC- Ross McCormack who we bought in for, what, 10, 15 million? Jonathan Codger comes in for 10, 10, 15 million. Then in January, Scott Hogan comes in for 10, 15 million. What message do you send to McCormack and Codger by bringing in um, Hogan? And what message do you send to McCormack by bringing in uh, bringing in Codger? And what message do you send to Lebor Kozak and Gabby Bunlaw and Rashawn Hepburn Murphy oh, yeah. and Davis, who you've got? by bringing those three strikers in. So Villa is still, I guess, paying the piper for those mistakes made under Tony Jarre. Um, by, you know, Jonathan Codger is clearly not wanted at this club. So we, we know what happened to McCormack. He got stuck in his house because he couldn't get outside <laughs> the gate and he's still stuck there probably. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'll just break down the goals here quickly, of course. Um, then we'll get on to a few different uh, questions and hopefully the guys can answer them. But 54th minute, of course, um, it's kind of hard to be mad at this game as well because both of Fulham's goals were arguably unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, 54th minute, Anthony Knockhart, uh, left-footed shot from outside the box, top left corner. Nyland has no chance whatsoever. That is assisted by uh, Joe Bryan. And, of course, a lot of people know Joe Bryan because we were linked with him and he decided to go to Fulham instead of us literally in the last second. Look how that's worked out for you, Joe. But anyways, um, 63rd minute on where Algazi turns into a goal scorer finally after missing, in my opinion, a sitter early on. Uh, right-footed <laughs> shot, very close range. Uh, Kaja, of course, with the assist. Um, ba- basically, actually stole Kaja's goal, almost forgetting Kodja's how this goal, goal happened. He stole it. Yeah, he so, basically lobbed the keeper and just tapped it in. So nice on him. Yeah, I think, like, I don't want to beat down on Kaja too much because he's still clearly wants to score for Villa and he enjoyed scoring against Fulham. He's not like he did a Gabby against Norwich and kind of just didn't celebrate and walked away. Like This is a striker who probably wants to do well, but there is some kind of mental block now to succeed in that Villa because of what's gone on in the past and all the injuries. But that should have been his goal. Like that was a well-worked goal. And it was almost, again, it's almost by accident. It comes out of nowhere and it's so easy. And I can't believe they done done that earlier in the match. But Kodja flicks it over the keeper and Algarsi buries it. And maybe he had to, but it was a bit of a uh, a stolen goal. I thought Algarsi was like quite possibly offside as well. Like that was the other thing. Oh, that, that, that did no worry VAR. me. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. VAR. So he got away with that one. But um, yeah. it could have been. It, it's a big question to ask if you're like nicking in at the back post. Yeah, yeah, basically. It was like, just don't touch it. Just don't, you know, leave it. Leave I it. just loved how oh, yeah. excited Kaja was thinking he was scoring and doing his little dance yeah. and all that kind exactly. of hotline bling stuff. And it's like, oh, buddy, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> Do you know what? I, as you know, as much criticism as Kaja got in that game, I still think he was our best player. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like, he still created most of the, op- um, he did create most opportunities. Like, I mean, when we looked like scoring, it was through Jonathan Kaja. I won't disagree. There's a, there's a bit in the first half where he just kind of dribbles through everyone and he probably should have shot because he would have had a goal. But like there's, there's still a, I don't know. Is there a player there? I don't know. But like he clearly kind of wants to do well, but there's just, there's just something going on. That's not right. Is there? Yeah. hundred uh, percent. We'll get on to the last goal course here because uh, Archer comes on. Um, of course we know that of course he is uh the manager's brother-in-law. So I just found that out yesterday. That was interesting news. So if you didn't know oh, really? that stat attack, yeah. Uh, Scott Parker's brother-in-law. I think Scott Parker is married to Arthur's sister. I don't know why I know this, yeah. but anyways, <laughs> um, I sound like a creeper now. I don't stop you. Don't <laughs> worry. Uh, but anyways, of course uh, they liked the top left uh, corners of the nets yesterday, especially because he scored from 30 yards out. Absolute howitzer in Canadian terms, I guess you could put it. Yeah. Um, it's it's another goal, James. So you have to put your hands up and say, what can you do to stop that? Again, I think this is like the third time I've said that Nyland had no chance and he stopped everything else, which is just, this result is probably more unfortunate than anything else um, because the two goals Fulham scored were wonder goals, hit, into, hit and placed perfectly. And I think the one of them, the knockout one, comes because Villa refused to shoot and wanted to kind of make the best chance possible. Algarzi loses it. And Nakia eventually gets it on the counter from the edge of the box and scores. Um, but Harry Artis is absolutely no question. Unstoppable. I don't like how we keep like backing off, though. Like We backed yeah. off so hard. Like Whereas Fulham were actually pressing hard, yeah. like, you know, high up the pitch. You know, we even 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 when we were like chasing the game like later on, they were they were still pressing like really high up the pitch. Whereas we, we seem to have this like back off policy, which, yeah, this is what it invites. If a team decides to shoot, it's a it's a free effort. It's a free kick, basically. Yeah, free hit. 100%. Yeah. 
guys, let's do the match balls here, and then we'll move on briefly to the preview. So, James, can I get your match ball first? Uh, Oyen Nyland. Um, probably gave Villa a little bit of a lifeline by stopping Nakia at point-blank range. Um, seemed up for it. Unfortunately, beaten by two worldies. Um, but um, no one else really, really put himself forward, bar probably Chester, to be honest. <laughs> Danny? Um, I, I get why James, why James is going for Nyland, um, but uh, like, uh, I think I'm going to give it to Jonathan Codger. I don't think any of the defense really um, inspired me at all. Yeah. Uh, and 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 even Nakamba, who's you know who has a reputation for working really really hard, losing the ball like all the way throughout the game, just like, and it wasn't just him. It was it was the whole defense, just yeah. like straight up, just passing it back to the opposition. And it's like you're inviting you're inviting so much pressure onto yourselves. So I'm gonna go with Jonathan Codger because as as much as he got criticised again by by people because look he's pro- he's not Premier League standard striker most likely. Um, he, he still for me created the best chances of the game and looked to be the brightest spark up front. Yeah, quickly add to that then and just say like he will be starting on that, in that semi final, and like no matter what we've all said about him or all the criticism like. I genuinely really want him to kind of lead the line and bang in some goals. I'm I'm praying that happens because it it's not just good for Kodja and good for our support of him, but it's good for Villa. Like Villa need goals, and it has it's gonna have to come from Kodja until something happens. Hundred percent. Um, if I'm gonna say mine, um, it's gonna be a funny one. I'm just gonna give it to Al Ghazi because I love how he stole a goal. Uh, I didn't also... really see many positives yesterday, um, but if I was going to give a special mention also to anyone, it would have to be to uh, our two youngsters, Ramsey and Vasilev, that came yeah. on, and they actually looked pretty decent. It's too bad. they actually. I wish they actually started the second half or did something like that to see a little bit more, because I thought they stepped in and didn't really miss a beat, and it's hard to come on when you're down, of course, and you, you have to play in the front foot, but they held their own, and uh, that's great to see, uh, see, especially for any American listeners like uh, like Mark. Uh, is it J- Jerobi? Uh, I'm not going to get it right this time. I'll, I'll get a WhatsApp message and like <laughs> when it goes off, I'll get told off. I'm going to also. Can I also just give an award to Indiana Vasilev for having the most football manager regen name in Aston Villa history as well? No, but football manager regions are called like Mark Jones. Uh, not like Indiana Vasilev. You <laughs> <laughs> might do, like if you scout, scouted him in America, I don't know. <laughs> no, but like that is so important that a young American player has made a debut for Aston Villa because that is a nation that seriously needs kind of a lot of optimism in terms of football. And yeah. I don't look, Indiana Vasilev probably isn't going to be the saviour, but he's a player who was scouted and picked out by Aston Villa and he's American and that's massively important for the uh, footballing future of that nation. That players are coming from in England, not just like Germany or Holland, where they usually do. Yeah, it wouldn't, be the, yeah. wouldn't be the first yeah. one. It wouldn't be the first one for us either, Cole. Eric Lehigh also had a pretty decent career as well and still has. Yeah, pretty he now? Time, so. uh, Hull. Oh, wow. I and he's like, last... well-liked there. He's well-liked at Nottingham Forest. So he's done done fairly well. Uh, Brad Guzan wasn't a graduate of the Aston Villa Academy, but I guess he kind of made a name for himself for one year. But And Friedel, of course. Um, but in American history, Aston Villa hasn't been that great. So Vasilev, it's time to lead the line. Come on, become Clint Dempsey 2.0. We need you. Um, let's get into the preview, guys, because, of course, midweek Wednesday, we play Leicester in the League Cup. First leg, of course. Um, and it will be away at Leicester. Uh, James, how do we feel about this? Because um, you know they're going to come out and they're going to compete. The, the, we're, are we in over our heads a little bit? Uh, possibly, because Brendan Rodgers is going to want to seal the deal with a trophy. They're playing for Champions League football. They could have a really positive season. It'd be amazing if Rodgers can seal the deal by um, winning the League Cup, personally for him. On the other hand, Aston Villa will be looking at this um, cup run as a source of massive positivity and something that can bolster the rest of their season. So it is an important match. It's one Villa need to take seriously. It's one Villa should possibly field as close to a full-strength team as as they feel comfortable with, uh, maybe no Grealish, um, but they should certainly take it very seriously and continue with that 3-4-3 formation with as many starters as comfortably possible, I feel. Danny, how do you feel about this game? Confident? Scared? <laughs> I don't know what to expect. Like, I genu- like I'm just... I, I know it sounds silly, but, like, I'm, I'm just... 
I'm more excited for transfer targets and stuff like that at the moment. But like, we'll, we'll see. Absolutely we'll... broken brain that is. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's just, it's, I just want like, I just want some something to happen. But like, you're right. Like, I think against Leicester, perhaps, perhaps three four three, no Greedish. Um, but leave him on the bench in case of an emergency. Yeah, your right? Jack Greenish like, can play a League Cup match as a treat. Like it, it will be fine if he, it's just a little treat to play twenty minutes. That's yeah. it. No start. No, don't start him. Exactly. Exactly. Just you know, hold, hold him off because we need, we need, we need him in the Premier League. We we can't deal with another injury right now. Yeah. So um, yeah, maybe maybe let uh, Hotter play in his role. Is this? Yeah. I know. I know. You're asking game? a lot of it, but yeah. Is this another game where we look at this and think the Premier League's the main focus? We got this far, um, see what happens. Like James, how do you feel about that? So you juggle it, you 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 juggle it, and like Aston Villa have a now that Tom Heaton and Wesley are out, Aston Villa have a stronger chance of going down than ever. Regardless, I would much rather be relegated having won a League Cup than be relegated and winning nothing. To be completely nice, and look, it is three games Villa have to play. This isn't major. Like, this is a League Cup semi away, a League Cup semi at home, and a final, if it all goes well. That's not a lot to ask. Like, now you're out of the FA Cup, there is nothing else. And there's a fair amount of depth in this Villa team to rotate. Um, the Premier League is absolutely the focus. But do not, please, I'm begging, do not chuck this semi-final out the window. Because Villa fans haven't seen a trophy lifted in 24-odd years, I think. 1995 was the last serious trophy that's a lifetime for loads of Villa I was fans. one years old obviously <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was, I was, yeah, I was yeah. One, one or two when that was lifted so I wasn't like, born how how good did you feel when the playoff trophy was lifted brilliant well, this is the thing like we're so used to going to Wembley and getting disappointed like I think maybe we've broken that curse last season so if we get there this time round perhaps you know we get um we get the gold so the crap argument is this is the worst argument ever is oh but we have to deal with um championship football we have to do championship football if we're relegated and european competition i'm like Damn, that's getting, good. getting knocked out in moldova is a privilege so <laughs> <laughs> isn't it maybe make it further man into milan on a tuesday we're gonna athletic on a saturday that's the that's what i want <laughs> no but that is like look i don't i don't think villa will get relegated um, and I understand the fear of fixture congestion, but man, getting knocked out in wherever in Iceland in July, massive privilege and a, a cup win is something for the history books. Relegation isn't forever. We went down for three seasons, big whoop. We come back up stronger. We have memories. It's not the be and end or I don't think a League Cup semi-final is going to hurt, hurt our season at all. Let's get the score predictions, guys. Oof. Danny, take it away. Um, First leg in it. There's one leg, yeah. right? There's two legs. Uh, two legs. Two yeah, legs. the next one's yeah, January exactly. 28th. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go with a solid nil-nil. Uh, let's just just see this one out. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> uh, I'll go for a one-nil Leicester, and that will put the impetus for Villa to fight back later in January. There, okay, this is what's either going to happen. It's going to be the most boring game ever, or we're going to get absolutely thumped the first leg. <laughs> it's going to be one of the two. It's, yeah. they, we don't make it easy on ourselves, and then we're going to play from behind because that's what we do every game, it seems like. Um, but, you know, I'll go against what I just said. I'm going to say one all. Why not? Um, keep it tight. And I think Leicester, too, will probably have that in the back of their minds. Um, of course, there is. I think they'll play as well on Sunday. I don't know who they play on Sunday. Um, next Sunday, I should say. But uh, they'll probably look at that, too, as a game where it's going to be tight. You, you, maybe you don't put your full strength out and you wait till see what you're kind of standing in the, the second leg. But anyways, we'll get on to briefly... The Sunday clash with Manchester City. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier, guys. James, do we have any chance? <laughs> Man, we drew a free hit against one of these top six teams because the worst thing about this season has been that Norwich beat Man City and other teams are in our in our position have taken points. Like Bournemouth haven't won many games, but they beat Chelsea and Man United, I'm sure. Um, so we are due something from one of these teams. And I really think a point on Sunday is possible. Um, we just need to show what we showed against Burnley. That's a resilience. So, yeah, I think I'd go... I'd put my prediction in now as well and say 1-1 one, one draw. I'll t- absolutely take that with both hands and move forward with it. Sounds good to me. Danny, your thoughts? Score prediction? Look, you know, we talk about us having a tight schedule. Manchester City just had a... Uh, you know, they still, they just fielded a full team against Port Vale. Uh, absolutely <laughs> love that. 
absolutely love that, by the way. Um, <laughs> and now they've got Manchester United as well coming up in midweek. So they've got the Manchester derby as well to deal with. So, you know, they're, they're, they're dealing with fatigue as well. They're going to be dealing with the same kind of thing that we're dealing with, um, albeit um Sergio Aguero isn't out for the rest of the season like like Wesley is and even if he was they have Gabriel Jesus to come back in right um so they can they've basically got a replacement for anybody having said that uh I like what James is saying here with the with, with the draw and the idea that we could maybe nick something I think we can um it might be dependent on, on whether we get a new signing in by the end of the week uh probably not uh, but if I'm going to be realistic here we've been inconsistent we weren't great against Fulham if we go 3-4-3, three, three, I'll give a 2-1 Manchester City victory with a decent showing from us. I would take that. That's not That's positive too bad. Yet. Keep in mind that uh, Manchester City could put out their third <laughs> squad and probably still beat us because um, they're that loaded. But it is what it is. Uh, quick and easy for me, 3-1 uh, City. I, I don't... It, it's hard. Yeah. You know, like their title challenge is basically over, but they're still going to want to put out a show. Guardiola expects nothing but excellence from his players. So you have to expect uh, something like that there. But anyways, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Danny and James for joining me. Of course, you can find Danny at Raza Journo on Twitter. Of course, you can find James at Jamo Russian on Twitter as well. And of course, you can go on the website at www.7500 to hold.com. Yes, I didn't say four W's this time. It's been me, Cole, Talk Astaville on Twitter as well. So feel free to follow any of us, interact, of course, and share this around. And of course, up the villa.